And I feel that once I recognize that if God gave me a vision, I had a duty and a responsibility to protect the vessel. Like those were the first steps for me. Take care of you. Like the, the, the oxygen mask, right? That we hear about on the plane before you can assist anyone else, put your own mask on. I realized that I was so consumed with this idea that I was called to help other people, which I believe was true, that I was neglecting myself. Pull up a seat to the table. You are listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, where we elevate successful entrepreneurs into powerful leaders doing work that really matters. After working with countless entrepreneurs, I've noticed a theme. No matter the level of success achieved, they get to this place where they're asking, now what? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact. You want to do work that means something, and you want to be known for it, too. Somewhere along the way, it wasn't just about growing a business anymore. It became time to build your legacy. Plus, building the dream at the expense of everything else that matters, family, freedom, joy, is no dream at all. The Luminary Leadership Podcast is where industry leaders come to break through to their next level of achievement, purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and I'm here to raise up this generation of leaders, us, so we can do our part in raising up the next generation of little luminaries. Get ready as we break down all things entrepreneurial leadership in a way that isn't being talked about. We both know you don't just need another strategy. It's time for your breakthrough. I swear this keeps happening, but I've had a few interviews now that keep competing for my all-time favorite, and there's no doubt that this one is one of them. There's a reason that Patrice Washington was named two times by Success Magazine one of the most inspiring voices in personal development. And there is a reason that in her years as America's money maven, that's what she was known as, and working alongside incredible leaders like the Steve Harvey Patrice became known across many circles as the go-to resource for financial possibility. But the coolest part about this interview with Patrice, aside from the fact that I love this woman, is witnessing, I got to witness it and you will too after listening to this interview, the evolution of someone who didn't just step into what she was good at, but actually embraced who she was called to be and the countless doors that have opened since stepping into that and since her growth into redefining wealth. So she was in the world of financial possibility and finance, but now she's doing things a little bit differently and it's making a massive impact. And it was a shift that was probably scary at the time. So today's episode, it took us in directions I didn't anticipate, but I am so thankful for what it means to redefine wealth and chase purpose over money. Little side hint, money follows that. And how to heed God's call, even when it's scary and the possibility that can really come from it when you listen to where you're being guided. Walking through heart-wrenching hardship, she kicks off with a story that will have you (laughs) almost in tears like it did me, and how that woke Patrice up to her true calling bringing our children into the fray of entrepreneurship and leading them into purpose. And she talks about how she's doing that specifically with her incredible daughter. Real talk around what's holding entrepreneurs back from true success. Listen, this is just, this is the one. This is the episode you need. This is, you know, divine timing. Trust me, you're going to want to listen to this episode in full. It is one of the most powerful conversations I I have had. Okay, let's get to today's show. 
Patrice, I've been looking forward to sitting down and having this time with you for a while. Right before we hit record, we were talking about how in alignment we are. So I'm excited to officially welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. It always feels good when you just instantly feel at home. So just based on what I know, I already feel at home. Yeah, well, I feel like I've welcomed the right person into into my home. So I'm glad you're here. And we're going to get to the good stuff that I know our listeners are going to soak up because like I said, this is right up their alley. This is what they need more of. But before we do that, I would love for you to paint a picture of what led you down this path. I know you, you've been in the finance space and that's really evolved over time into something really impactful with the work you're doing today. But just tell us more about you. Well, I wish I could say that I chose this path you know, out of a brochure in college or something. I don't think anyone goes to school and goes, oh, I'm going to be a finance expert or something like that. It just doesn't sound sexy. Right. Um, but I always tell people that while I have all the textbook knowledge, I truly feel that I'm in the position I'm in because of my testimony. Uh, very much so. I built us what would become a seven-figure business straight out of college. And the recession hit around 2007. And I was actually in the hospital on bed rest. I had taken a fall down the stairs at 20 weeks pregnant. Oh, no. That me into preterm labor. So when I got to the emergency room, they literally said, ma'am, this baby's coming any minute now. Like there's nothing we can do. And what was supposed to be any minute now actually turned into me being in the hospital on bed rest for 10 weeks. Wow. And five weeks in, I'm in the hospital. My loan officers and real estate agents, I was a broker at 21 years old, a real estate and mortgage broker. I had 16 loan officers and real estate agents at that time. Business had been booming leading up to that. And I'm in the hospital on bed rest and folks are calling me freaking out left and right. What's going on? Um, we're getting our, our, our loan isn't going through. Our client is going to lose their deposit, all these things. So I'm freaking out because I'm used to being the fixer and I can't fix anything for anyone. And then one day my doctor comes in and she says, Patrice, I don't know what you're stressing about, but if you don't stop, you're gonna leave here two years in a row with no baby. Because mm -hmm. the year before I had a son who was also born prematurely and he passed after five hours. And that was the one of the first times that I remember this idea of needing to surrender in a season. It wasn't about giving up, but it was letting go of what I thought was the most important because for so many years, my baby, my, my baby had been my business. And so I was used to fixing and the finances and the money and the real estate and all those things. And here I was faced with a, a time in my life where I had to make a choice about what mattered more. And for me, bringing my baby into the world healthy is what mattered more. And so I had to make a decision and I asked my husband to tell everyone to stop calling me. And I gave up my laptop and I traded that in for an iPod with praise uh, music on it and a journal. And for me, it was a Bible. And um, I asked the the hospital to take the TV off the wall so I wouldn't be tempted to watch the news with all the banks closing down and all that stuff. And, you know, when I came out of the hospital, I had a healthy baby. She was born at 30 weeks, three pounds, two ounces, but she was healthy. Today, she's 14 years old. But I also left with four, almost $400,000 in medical debt. I also mm -hmm. left understanding that 
no deals have been closing and my husband had been exhausting like our, you know, our bank accounts, keeping everything afloat and paying everyone and, you know, take, taking care of all of these responsibilities. And, you know, a year and a half after that point, when my daughter was born, August 2007, March 2009 is when I had the real moment um, because I had went from a seven figure business to literally scraping up change. By 2009, I was on welfare. I had gone through savings, home foreclosed, cars repossessed, everything that could happen, happened. But in 2009, I had an ugly cry. I don't know if you've ever had an ugly cry. Oh, many. (laughs) It's real ugly. No longer recognize yourself. I mean, it's bawling, snotting, just an ugly cry. I had an ugly cry that sent me to my knees. I found this scripture, Proverbs 17, 16, and it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool? if they have no desire to seek wisdom. And that scripture to this day, my name on Instagram is seek wisdom. It was the awareness for me that while I had had a lot of knowledge, cause I was a great test taker and, you know, brokers at 21 years old and, you know, Dean's list at the university of Southern California, all those things, wonderful. But knowledge was one thing. Wisdom is knowing how to apply it and where to apply it, when to apply it. And I went down this path of like, what is really wisdom and what is wealth? And so in 2009, March 9th is when I had that moment. And it started me on this journey of really wanting to understand what wealth really was because I had had the financial success and yet there were still all these elements for me that were missing that left Mm -hmm. me very unfulfilled. I thought as as a little girl growing up in South Central Los Angeles that if you had money, you would be fine. Like I went to school, got good grades, had a career. I should be fine. But I knew from that whole experience being in the hospital for 10 weeks and just all the things that followed that, I knew that there was something deeper. And it led me down this path of, well, what is wealth? The first definition we typically see is money and material possessions. But when you dig deeper, the original definition was the condition of well-being. Hmm. And 2009 is what started me on this journey of what would it look like to be well holistically, not just chasing money, but what would it look like to be well in every area of my life? And that is what started the journey to what will become, not until 2017, redefining wealth. And that is like my podcast. And what I do now is all around the six pillars of wealth and sharing with people the other parts of our lives that impact our finances, even when we're not thinking about it. Mm. Okay, so now I have a clear picture why Success Magazine called you one of the most inspiring because I'm sitting here with goosebumps trying to like get my brain to show back up to the party where I can actually (laughs) speak speak words because that is quite the testimony. And one of the things I was going to ask you, but you you brought that full circle was what it was that helped you shift that pendulum from this concept of what success is, what wealth is into how you define it today. And it's clear now why. So thank you for uh, sharing the vulnerable pieces of your story that I know will speak to our audience in so many different ways. But what I'd love to know more about is what does that look like? So when you when you're starting to wake up to the fact that there's more to life than money, there's more to life than just climbing this ladder and, and seeing the success in business, and you started to redefine wealth and redefine success, what did it in your heart, in your mind, start to look like as you started to look ahead at that path and say, okay, if this is going to play out the way that God's calling me to it and the way that I need to show up as a leader, both in my own home with 
with my daughter now and um, in the world with the, the impact that I'm making, what did that path start to shift into? I know you had that time in the hospital to really reflect, but then there are all these years after that where you actually have to say, okay, a lot of people walk through something pretty mm-hmm. uh, life-altering, but then they go right back to their old ways. You know, eventually oh, yeah. those habits kick back in. So how did you change in a way for the long term that's led you to where you are today? You know, I wish I could have said I had this plan initially, right? It wasn't until I felt led to pivot my entire business, my entire platform to redefining wealth, that I had an opportunity to go back and look at all of the things, the rituals, the habits, the behaviors that I felt had led me to the recognition that people knew me for, because Mm -hmm. I was very frustrated with the fact that I, I, you know, I was grateful, but I had become America's money maven. And so I was on the Steve Harvey morning show, nationally syndicated radio and television show every week. And I'm on Dr. Oz and I'm here and I'm there. And people think because I like to talk about money topics that I personally, it's like, what budget do you use? I'm like, you're worried about a budget. And the thing that got me here was a change in behavior. And it was a shift in thinking. And I realized that I was doing people a disservice by not telling what I call now the truth about wealth, which is that I was doing all of these other things behind the scenes in my everyday life. And for me, one of the first ways that I saw it show up and give me clarity about my next steps that I believe would lead me to the wealth that I have accumulated at this point. The first thing was I wasn't really actively taking care of my vessel. What does that mean? So we, at Redefining Wealth, we call it the fit pillar. And the fit pillar is about becoming your best self. So I was praying for things that I didn't even physically have the capacity to sustain, right? So in this culture, we live in a very hustling grind culture. It is team no sleep. It is sleep is for suckers. Why would you be doing that, right? There are so many messages that make you feel like the grind is more important than anything else. And even in my pursuit of chasing purpose, I had succumbed to that. So I was doing a lot of things, waking up early, you know, going to bed super late, not taking time to eat, not really not making doctor's appointments. If I made it, making it okay that I missed them, that, you know, that I just keep postponing and rescheduling and as a woman, as a mother, putting myself last on the list, like not taking care of me. But how did that actually show up in terms of my confidence, in terms of my stamina, in terms of my energy? And I feel that once I recognize that if God gave me a vision, I had a duty and a responsibility to protect the vessel. Like those were the first steps for me. Take care of you. Like the, the the oxygen mask, right, that we hear about on the plane. Before you can assist anyone else, put your own mask on. I realized that I was so consumed with this idea that I was called to help other people, which I believe was true, that I was neglecting myself. Whether mm-hmm. it was helping my family, friends, or clients, or whatever, I was not taking care of myself. And that manifested in a lot of different ways. You know, really low iron. So I battled with secondary infertility. And didn't realize that it was connected to so many things that were related to me not taking care of myself while I was trying to take care of everyone else, you know, and not just physically, but also mentally. I went through a season where I had to really deal with my childhood trauma because many of us think that 
well, if I just get another degree, if I just read more books, if I just listen to more podcasts, if I just YouTube a little longer into the wee hours of the night, it's always something outside of us when really many of us have dealt with things. Well, we haven't dealt with things. So now it's dealing with us, right? We have things that we've experienced. We probably have some unresolved trauma that we're dealing with. And I believe that our business, our finances, our careers are only going to grow to the extent we're willing to heal. And it's been through therapy. Um, I talked about this in my success magazine feature, like, you know, therapy has been one of the tools that I've used to heal because I grew up feeling like the ugly one. I was cast as like, you're not the pretty one. You're the smart one. Many of us have these experiences with labels in our family or in our friend groups when we're younger. I was the smart one. I wasn't the pretty one. So I felt like I had to earn love or earn, you know, respect all the time. So I became addicted to achievement. That served me with good grades and acknowledgement, right, from teachers and, and that type of praise. It didn't serve me back to the physical issues, like the physical fitness thing, because I would spiral in doing all of the things, trying to constantly earn that validation and affirmation and all those things because I hadn't dealt with the root of it, which is this started in childhood with even family members who would never say I'm sorry, right? And learning that I had to forgive people who would never say I'm sorry and, and a new definition of forgiveness, which is giving up the possibility of a better past. And there's so many things in that growing up feeling like the ugly one. Had I not dealt with that, Elizabeth, I look at my life today and I'm like, okay, your face is, in, is on all these books and you've been on all this national television and you've been on stages with up to 10,000 people and your life today, your purpose today requires you to show up in a way that if you hadn't healed that childhood trauma, you could have never risen to the occasion. No way. Mm -hmm. And all of those things have been connected to my purpose and my ability to build wealth. And I think that's one of those things where I say, there's a lot that we don't associate with our inability to maybe create the wealth that we desire. And you may have some level of success. I've had different levels of success. It wasn't until I got really free from a lot of that stuff, though, that my success went to another level. And it went to another level with me being authentic and having more joy, mm. which is a completely different level of success. Yeah. And that's the missing piece for so many people. And I know that our our listeners are probably tuning in, hearing you and really resonating with that piece of you, that ambitious piece of you that was pushing and, and what our culture calls for as in entrepreneurship and what we're trying to disrupt, you know, in the work that we're doing and the work that you're doing. And it's funny too, because we don't start knowing that we're going to fall into that trap. To, to me, you come to the table with that ambition and that passion. And one of the plagues that hits entrepreneurs a lot of the time is when that's left unchecked and we're just head down, get to work, moving on to the next thing, you know, for impact and purpose, or at least that's what we put it under the guise of. Yeah, we started inspired, but we start to lose sight of that purpose and that passion and that inspiration as our North Star. And we start to lean into too far towards uh, the development of our business and strategy and something takes over and we put those really critical pieces into the back seat. The piece, sometimes we kick them out of the car, right? Like we, we had this idea of what it could look like to do it for our families or to do it for the possibility or the impact, but we get hungry because of our ambition and our 
our humanity. Uh, and we focus on that next goal and that next thing. And when you talk about when the next level of success is also you embodying that joy and that um, just innate goodness that can come with doing it the right way, yeah. the symptoms that you feel when you achieve success based on metrics that a lot of people in our society value most, money, uh, how many people are liking your posts, whatever, you name it, versus achieving success with your joy and your health, like you talk about, and your family uh, and your integrity intact. It's two totally different experiences and one that leads you down a path where you can actually look back in retrospect on your life with such a I don't know, a, a heart that's not broken, a heart that knows yeah. you've done it right versus looking back and being like, what the hell was it all for? So yeah. can you talk a little bit, if you've experienced both, talk about kind of some of those differences, those symptoms that maybe could wake some people up right now who are asleep at the wheel, like they're a little bit too much on autopilot and don't realize the trap that they're walking into. Yeah, they, they've got the money in the bank. They've got these things that they can check off the notoriety, but are they potentially going down a really dangerous path right now? Oh, that is so good. I feel like I've had different moments throughout my career where even even my, what led me to redefining wealth, I'll tell you, I was on the Dr. Oz show. This is 2016. And I get there for the rehearsal. And, you know, Dr. Oz, love him. He loves a good visual, right? So he, his team is really good about creating visuals. And I was there under this America's Money Maven moniker, and they wanted to do a segment and it included saving on groceries. And so they had these like felt, you know, apples and oranges and, and all, broccoli and all this stuff. And they wanted me to move it during my talk, like from one place to the other, from one basket to the other. And so I'm standing there and they're telling me what I'm going to do. And I, in my head, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? I, I felt that still small voice again, or that, you know, you get the little pebble that's like, this is not for you right now. What, what will make sense to the average person who's known as a media personality is that you take all media you can get. And these are millions of eyeballs on you. And this is what you got to do. And I just kept, that was the beginning, but there were just these different things that were happening where I was starting to get really frustrated in my, in my spirit, in my belly with having to keep having these conversations. When again, I knew all of the other things that I had been doing in my personal life and behind the scenes and not on camera and not on stage that I truly believed were equipping me to evolve because purpose evolves. However, we got into this, whatever you know, you do now doesn't mean that's the thing you have to do until you die, right? Like that is a stepping stone and an introduction to, I believe, next level, next level, next level. And finally, you know, I got to the place where I was like, shut it all down. I had this, I call it the boulder effect. So Dr. Oz was the pebble. And then there was like a rock thrown at me. Someone sent me, oh, a cease and desist about the, the name I have been using, but I have been using it for years, like seven years or something at that time. I'm like, where did these people come from, right? And I call that like, okay, that was the rock, like, wait a minute. So I had my attorney on that. And then my site got hacked. Oh. And that was the boulder because 
the hosting company literally said to me on the phone, you sound like such a lovely woman. Like, I just, I don't understand why. (laughs) And I go, well, can you fix it? And they're like, this is one of the worst hacks we've seen. It was bad. So I had the shell of a site, but they had deleted all of the files. So I had programs and blog posts and like Mm. all this stuff for years that I had been building gone, pretty much gone. And I was like, okay, this, this is it. Right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about these things anymore. Maybe that like I, I, probably could have gotten it when I was moving broccoli from one, you know, felt wall to the next, (laughs) but this is definitely it. And I shut everything down. And I remember like my team going, do we want to like, do you want to just rebuild that site? And I was like, no, that's, that's over. That season of my life is over. I'm being called to do something different. And that's when I kind of retreated and really went through everything that I had done and put together what people now know is redefining wealth. But what came with that is I was still on the Steve Harvey show. And I was still on the radio show. And after I launched my podcast, September 2017, I was straddling the fence. And it was like, okay, I'm still kind of being this person, America's Money Maven, for the sake of this audience, because I have millions of listeners and I get speaking engagements from this thing. And this is how people find me. And this is why other media outlets come to me to talking about what I was talking about on the podcast, which incorporated faith. And it incorporated relationships and incorporated talking about therapy and all these things that the producers didn't feel lined up with me being the money person. So they mm-hmm. didn't want me to go too deeply into that. And I made a decision to leave the show after four years. And I remember people going, um, are you nuts? Like, <laughs> are this career suicide? Are you nuts? Like, why would you leave a dream opportunity where you can get millions of people? And what I truly felt in my spirit was that those people were stumbling upon me, but what I was creating at Redefining Wealth, those were people who were praying for a resource like me. Like those people (laughs) were searching for someone to speak life into their experiences and talk about finance in a way that wasn't intimidating and talk about finance in a way where they could make improvements in their finance, but really better their lives overall. I felt like that's where I was being called. So even though I didn't have, it was like I was famous. I, you know, I had a platform, right? But I was always on other people's platforms. It wasn't really about me doing that thing for myself, right? I didn't have the millions of eyeballs anymore, but the fulfillment that came when people started to email me and say, I was literally praying last night for X, Y, Z. And then you popped up. I didn't even know. I don't, I've never heard of you in my life. I have, I've never seen you. I, I Googled you and I know you've done these things. Never heard of you. Never been on my radar, but you spoke to me. For me, that was so much more impactful and fulfilling than people who stumbled upon me. And again, I'm grateful for, for the opportunities that I had in that last season. That takes nothing away from my Steve Harvey family and like all the things that I did there. But there was such a difference when I leaned into what was most fulfilling and what felt like my truth and what felt like it was completely in alignment for me authentically versus me being attached to continuing on to live by the labels that other people have put on me 
and that I had, a, you know, the box I allowed myself to get in and the suitcase I zipped myself in, you know, for a season where I felt like I always had to be the money person and I mm-hmm. couldn't show all of my personality because so much of what we do is like, it is such a small percentage, right? Like it, like this only represents such a small percentage of who I really am as a full person and having the opportunity to not straddle the fence anymore. I mean, I can't even tell you the freedom. Oh my Hmm. gosh. I used to be policed, right? Like you, okay, these are your talking points. This is what you're going to say. You have five minutes. You can write. And then you get on a podcast and you're like, Lord, I've been talking for hours. This is great. Right. (laughs) You're like, I didn't know I had so much to say on this topic. You just find another level of freedom and joy. And I've had those opportunities where I have turned down things that seem like to some people, like, why would you do that? Because I'm I'm literally trying to chase purpose. It's not money. It's not millions of eyeballs. It's like the right eyeballs, the right hearts, the right mm-hmm. souls that are connected to mine. And isn't it amazing how when you really listen to what you're being called to and that nagging, right? Like when that pebble hit you, sometimes like I, I, you say a boulder, I say a two by four. I feel like I get a split. God gives me a splinter and I'm like, man, I'll just pick that out and ignore it. And then by the end of it, I'm like literally being whacked in the back of the head with a two by four by him. Cause he's like, how many times do I have to lay in front of you? How this is not your path any longer. It brought you to this point, but there's another path for you. But what it's scary to pivot. It's scary to say yes to something that's not guaranteed. I resonate so much. I'm listening to your story and I'm just nodding and smiling because for many of my listeners, they've they've watched me like choose a different path when I felt like things were really good. And it's, to me, it's a lot harder to say I'm going in a different direction when this is so safe, when this is working, when people are, are cheering me on or celebrating, but nothing compares to when you say yes to that true purpose and doors open faster than you could even ever have planned for yourself or strategized down that other path. And the right people, like you said, the right hearts come in and you start to see what the plan was all along. You're like, oh, why didn't I say yes to that sooner? So I I just love and resonate and relate so deeply with what you're saying. And the funny thing is money follows the purpose anyway. So you don't have to chase the money. It's the byproduct. It's the natural Mm -hmm. byproduct. I say it's the natural byproduct of obedience because that's the thing. You know, I got the pebble, you get the splinter. (laughs) At the end of the day, we have an opportunity to respond. How will you respond? Most of us know when a season is up. We just don't want to accept it. Yep. We know when a season is up, right? But I think we've been maybe taught or conditioned to believe that it has to be bad when a season is up. Mm -hmm. Many times it's still good. But this is where faith comes in to play, right? And this is where trusting yourself or, you know, your intuition, your inner guidance, like comes into play. Because if we only look at the information, the information will be rooted in algorithms and percentages and facts and right, all those things. And sometimes those things can still be very misleading because they will give you some measure of success. But will you ever truly be fulfilled? Right. And I think that that fulfillment is so key. Like at the end of my podcast, I always say, I want you guys to live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without chasing money. I believe a lot of people hear purpose and they hear earn more without chasing money and they skip right over that fulfillment. Mm-hmm. That fulfillment is the thing. 
Right. That gets you right on the path to earning more without having to chase. You know, I'm at a stage in my life now where I do two things. I follow the fulfillment and I'm scaling joy. Mm. Those are like the two things that I'm most worried about, like following the fulfillment. So, you know, you get to a certain point and I know your audiences, they're well established and they've had, you know, different measures of success. Here's what I've learned. You know, when I first started out and you want the opportunities and again, I was addicted to achievement. So I'm like, you know, I, I you you go for all the things and you I don't know about you guys, but I felt like, oh, I needed to be in all the places doing all the things. So I said yes to everything. Well, saying yes to everything is what leads to burnout and the physical distress that you put your body through and like all those things. Right. So then you learn to go, okay, what's the filter by which I will say no sometimes. So you go, okay, now I have to choose between, you know, decent opportunities and good opportunities. All right. So we can say no to decent. That becomes easy. But then you get to a level as you continue to grow where you have to say, you know, no, you're going to have to figure out the difference between a good opportunity and a great opportunity. And then you up level and now it's a great opportunity, a phenomenal opportunity. And now I'm like, it could be a phenomenal opportunity, but if it's not a fulfilling opportunity, it's still a no. Hmm, Yes. Getting to that place means that I personally in just the last few years, I have said no to probably what could have equated on the surface, initial offers, initial to like half a million dollars, at least mm-hmm. phenomenal opportunities, brand partnerships or, you know, phenomenal, not fulfilling. But I was like, will I be fulfilled? And and not through the lens of just work wise, will this take me away from the things that give me joy in the other pillars of my life? Or will this make me like lean so much in to the work pillar that I don't have margin for yes. anything else in my life. So I don't have, you know, the capacity for my fit pillar, which is very important to me or my faith pillar or my people pillar. You mentioned something earlier. You know, we say that we're doing these things for our family. Many of us say we're doing these things for our family and our families are like, can we see you? Can we hang yeah. out with you? Is the answer always be quiet? Mom's working. Is the answer always dad can't go? Because he has this thing, like, are we building our businesses around our lives? Are we building our lives around our business? And if we keep taking good opportunities and great opportunities and phenomenal opportunities, if we keep taking all of it, where does it leave space for all the other things in our lives that add to fulfillment and joy? And that's that's like the, as you continue to grow, that has to be the distinction. And I think that's why we find so many people who... Again, on paper, and your bio reads amazingly, and on paper, it looks really good, but you still feel unfulfilled. Mm. You still feel unhappy, and you still feel like, well, why am I working so hard and I can't take a vacation? Or why, you know, why are people saying all these things about me, but I feel otherwise? Like, well, are you filling your lives with the other things that will actually fulfill you or does it just look good on paper? And every time I look at something through the lens of, am I doing this because it looks good on paper or because I genuinely feel a call to do it and I, like, I'm like i excited about doing it. I get to do it, not I have to do it. If it's mm-hmm. I have to, I'm either delegating or just not going to do it. Right. Yeah, it's not aligned with where you're going. And I think a lot of times we make decisions based on where we are without staying true to the vision of where we're being called. 
And when you learn to make decisions as that version of you that you're not quite at yet, but you know the Lord's calling you to that version, that's the only way you're going to get there. So saying, you know, is this a decision that the me today is making based on the chaos I'm living in? Or is it the me that's out of this chaos in the life that I'm envisioning and called to? Who's making these choices? That's so good. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That that is so good because you know what? It makes you embody your aspirations, right? You, to, mm-hmm. to your point, how would I answer if I was already living this way? Right. Okay, let me answer like that. And that actually is what creates the space for you to live that way. It's mm-hmm. very scary, you know, brand partnerships are something that are very big for me in my space, right? And I remember a couple years ago, just getting to the point, especially 2020, you know, 2020 was 2020. We all know what that means when someone says it, right? (laughs) 2020 was 2020. Exactly. So you go into a space where for me as a speaker, so many opportunities have been postponed. There was no traveling to speak. There was none of it. So then you have brand partners that are trying to ramp up. And then we get into that whole social justice uprise. So for me as a black woman, I had a, a, in finance, I had a lot of brand partners that were, you know, they were trying to do the right thing. I'm using air quotes. And so seeking out (laughs) black voices and, and all this stuff. So your girl was busy. There was just a lot. (laughs) (laughs) There was just a lot going on. And so brand partners are, they're very, um, they're, they're amazing folks, right? They will negotiate things forever and ever. Legal will take forever to sign the contract. And then it's finally signed. And they're like, Hey, can we have all your creative uh, tomorrow? Right? Yeah. That doesn't fit in to like what's going on over here. Right. And I remember telling my agent, I said, Ellie, if if people don't have like a seven to 14 day like period for me to work on creative after, not because you chatted with me after the deal is signed, like that's a no. And if it's not this minimum amount, it's a no. And if they're going to be and I just start creating what my life coach calls a willing to lose list, I'm willing to lose any potential partnership that does not honor and respect the boundaries that I have for my mental well-being, for my physical well-being, for my family, for what I have going on. If you're not willing to honor those things and like even if it would be fulfilling and I enjoy the opportunity, I'm not going to do it. And I remember how scary it was because we were turning down things left and right. And, you know, you're kind of seeing the emails go by and you're like, whoo, okay, I did say, whoo, okay, I got to stick to that, right? Like, oh, oh." (laughs) okay, well, that one was, was it that bad? Five days, I could have done five days, right? And your mind starts to renegotiate. And I was like, hold strong, hold firm. Like this, this is who you are. This is what you deserve. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself and literally talk yourself through honoring the decisions you made because we can create boundaries all day, but then we also have to be responsible for enforcing them just because we say them. We're also responsible for the enforcement and reinforcement of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know, by the end of 2020, I started to attract brand deals that were twice what I said the minimum would be. And still to this day now, so last year was one of our best brand years and I did less work in the brand space, but because I put those 
parameters in place and I set those boundaries, I was able to do brand work with brands that I truly, truly love. And they were two and three times the dollar amount. And I had 10 times the piece because they honored my boundaries. And, you know, I I wasn't stressed and I wasn't rushed and I wasn't hurried and all those things that allowed me to show up as my best, most creative, confident self. And I don't think I could have attracted those deals if I couldn't be trusted to honor my own boundaries with the smaller deals from the brand partners that used to like wear me out. Mm -hmm. But it had to come from trusting that if I was being led to create these boundaries, then I had to trust that this one being led to do and there's more on the other side. And it took several months of saying no to a bunch of small stuff. We were getting towards the end of like the year. And I was like, well, golly, like we haven't done much. And then literally Q4 2020, we got three deals back to back that made up what I would have done the whole year. Isn't it amazing when you make space for what what's right, what comes in? Because sometimes we're so busy saying yes out of fear. Like if you had gone backtracked and been like, oh, maybe I can do this five day one. I'm getting a little nervous. Things aren't coming in. You would have unknowingly been closing the door to what was really meant for you. And that that applies across the board in so many things that we do. And we get we get thirsty because we're human for uh, fulfillment in the wrong places. It's really like we think it's fulfillment, but it's really craving significance. Like we're like, oh, well, if we get this or if our name shows up here or if I get this stage or if I get this book deal or whatever, this client, I've finally proven my worth or I've, I feel that significance that I'm craving. But what you're saying is there's a huge difference between significance and needing that significance and kind of that self-righteousness and that fulfillment. And that's not going to be found in these empty, you know, brand deals or these opportunities that are not really right for us. So opening yourself up to the risk, there is a risk, right? But the reward is like nothing we can experience or manufacture on our own through strategy or anything in our work. And nothing we can fight or force. Mm -hmm. One of the best brand deals I had last year was with DSW, the shoe company. Did you get free shoes? I'm jealous. You got a lot of shoes. I I got a lot of (laughs) shoes, purses, like all the things. And so did my daughter. And we did this whole (gasps) holiday campaign. And it was amazing. I didn't know the extent. I mean, I know it was in the scope of work, but I didn't realize how much they would put these pictures of my daughter and I everywhere. Like we had people going, we saw you or my daughter's friends, moms were like, was that Reagan in the, you know, like in this thing or whatever. And at the beginning of 2021, my daughter started high school last year. And one of the things that was in my secret prayer, like hadn't mentioned it to my agent, hadn't said it to anyone was that I sure would like to do more with her in my brand work, because I always love doing stuff with her anyway. And people always like when she, we have a very interesting relationship, like not interesting, but like we're really funny together and stuff. And people always like to see her too. And, um, you know, I was like, I sure hope I like that before she graduates, I'll be able to do something with her. It would be really cool. And I'm like, and I'm going to pay her for it. Like, you know, I'll give her like a really cool check, you know, like this is for your your contribution. And so when DSW reached out, they said the thing that separated me from any other finance experts that they had, you know, been looking at was that I I was a mom. 
and that I wasn't a mom of a small child, but a, a older child who could have their own style and, and like all that kind of stuff. And so that is what played into it. And it was one of the best things. And I was here, I was thinking, I could have, I wouldn't have even thought to email DSW and pitch something like that. Mm-hmm. And I definitely wouldn't have been like, hey, can you create an opportunity for me to have like 20 million impressions across all of your platforms and all of like who can do that? I, right. I couldn't have dreamed of that. I couldn't have journaled that. I couldn't have prayed about that. The one thing was like, I have the intention of doing more with Reagan in in this type of space, you know, and, and putting it towards whatever it is she wants to do or her college fund or those types of things. But that was just a silent thing to myself it was one of those fleeting thoughts mm-hmm. and then several months later boom here is this opportunity and i still to your point look at all the things i said no to and continue to say no to that created the space for the right deal and the right, right opportunity mm-hmm. you know you can't force it i think that a lot of times we get i don't know about you but i hear from people all the time about like this continuous striving like it's a continuous like striving, pushing, forcing, almost wanting to manipulate like into these certain rooms. And in the people pillar at Redefining Wealth, I always talk about there's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you. But who are they watching you be? Ah, there it is. Who are they watching you be? There's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you. And I think us being able to show up fully and boldly and confidently in what we've been called to do, like in an authentic way, like with as much freedom and joy and fulfillment as we can possibly muster up, like, right, in in creating the margin is what actually attracts these things to you because there's (laughs) always someone watching and you don't know what speaks to them. And it's not for you to even know. Our job is to continue to show up authentically. And I think that when we are so committed to the past labels or our former success or the thing that may have been for us in a past season. And we keep fighting, you know, this idea that the season is up. We don't even realize what we can potentially be repelling. Right. Someone is watching, but we're not showing up in the way that we truly could. If we had the freedom, if we gave ourselves the freedom to do that. Mm. I could not agree more. That was the that was the thing. I'm like, what you just said is such a thing that doesn't exist in our conscious mind. But if we could allow it to, if we could remind ourselves every morning of what you just said, it could change everything. It could open open doors like you described with DSW that we couldn't even come up with on our own or journal or pray about if we tried because it's too good. It's too it's too like stratospheric for it to even really be on our human radar. So, and this might have to be a part two, but you, you mentioned your daughter and the work we're doing in our company is so in alignment with what you're talking about, because we've seen, you know, having been in business for 10 years and having worked alongside so many entrepreneurs, we see what we were talking about earlier, where they, they do it for their family. They do it for the potential of freedom, but ultimately their family ends up being the collateral damage not on purpose, not with malice, but it is what it is. And once it happens, it's it's hard to to resurrect and to fix. So what we're we're doing is we're figuring out how we can help these successful entrepreneurs integrate their business and their family and not be this compartmentalized person where I'm business and then family because entrepreneurship doesn't choose us. I, or we don't choose it, it chooses us. We do say yes to it. And when we say yes to it, 
we're saying yes to it for our family. I grew up in a family where my parents were entrepreneurs and I know my life was different, good and tougher things because of, you know, the path they chose. And I'm grateful beyond measure. And I know, and I'm aware that in saying yes to it, I've chosen it for my children. My husband has chosen it for our children, but how is it fair to do that? Say you're thrust into this life with us without any choice, but we're not even going to include you in the process. We're not even going to bring you into the fray and see the beauty and the glory and the learnings that could come from you being a part of this with us. So hearing that your daughter got to be in this experience with you, what a tremendous gift you're giving her and and the opportunity for you to lead her, not just as a mother and in your home separate from the business, but see possibility. So yeah, it's good to have boundaries and you know, don't be there on your phone working all hours of the day around your kids. I'm not saying that, but I am saying include them in it. You, you don't have your dreams. You have dreams as a family and how are you bringing them in and, and helping them experience all the amazing wisdom that can come from witnessing their parents working hard and providing for their family in an honorable and integrity driven way. I talked to my daughter even about launches. Mm. I talked to her about numbers. I talked to her about when things go wrong, what I would have done differently, what I'm reading and why I'm reading it and how I think it applies to the business because I think that entrepreneurship is going to choose her and she's going to have to say yes. And I am just, I want her to not just be like, well, my mom was an entrepreneur. I want her to know the lessons. Like I want Mm -hmm. her to remember the times. I want her to know that there were big opportunities. There were great opportunities that I said no to for the sake of the phenomenal. And there were phenomenal opportunities that I said no to for the sake of the fulfilling and why I did that. And I, I, I say so much and I document so much, especially because I want my daughter to have these lessons so that she can make choices that are rooted in faith, not fear. So that when it's yes. her time, she'll be like, my mom said no to this. But I remember seven months later, these things all happened and she was pretty happy with herself. Right. So I like, you know, if it happened for her, it can happen for me. I want her to have these things. And I remember when she was in first grade. She was like first grade, second grade. She came home and she's like, can I have five of your books? And I'm like, why? She's like, I told the ladies in the office that you wrote that you wrote a book and they want a book. And I said, well, Reagan, I sell these books. You know, like we and we're not just giving books away. Right. Like I sell these books. And she goes, no, I I told them it was twenty dollars because she could come with me to to speaking events. She said, no, I told them it was twenty dollars. And I was like, oh. Okay, like, well, okay, but make sure you get my money, you know, like, <laughs> give me another book. And she's like, how much can I keep? She's like negotiating Good for her images with me. And she was like first, second grade. She couldn't have been more than seven years old at the time, six or seven years old. And I just, I always loved that. I loved being able to, I would intentionally, whenever I could, take her out of school and take her to a speaking engagement with me. I remember she had one teacher that was so annoyed because I had taken her out of school a couple times. I think she was like fourth grade, one semester. And I go, you guys are going to talk about Columbus every year. These, you know, (laughs) you know, these are things that she can't miss. And I want her to see the impact that mommy has when Mm -hmm. she gets on a stage and she speaks life into people. I, I need her to see what happens because I want her to have a strong frame of reference for when I say mom is leaving or I'm going to speak here. What that's like, 
what that feels like, what's actually happening there. So in her mind, she started to get more and more excited. Like, did they stand up and clap for you? Did you sell all your books? Like, these are the things that she would ask in the evening, you know, nighttime when I called to check on her after a speaking engagement or something. She had a frame of reference for what to even ask because she's right. going off of, you know, and did and like what happened and who else was there? Like, and she was so into it and she had such an appreciation for it and such a respect. And I will say this to any mom in particular who was listening, the thing that I had to really get in my spirit was that as much as I was called to be Reagan Washington's mother, I was still called to be Patrice Washington, the money maven or of the redefining wealth podcast or any other label that has come along. I was called to do all of those. And I believe that the same creator that called me to do it would give me the provision to do it, to do it right. Right. Like, not leave me out here like, well, you got to struggle and have mom guilt every other day, you know, <laughs> like, like we don't have to have that. But I think to your point, integrating my daughter into more of my business really helped to reduce, if not eliminate mom guilt, because I experienced that quite a bit early on. Yeah. I always and felt I, guilty when I was leaving. I think so many of us do because the world tells us that we have to be two different people. It's like you put on your business hat and you put on your mom hat. So that means at some point in every day, about half of each of, you know, one half of your day and the other half, you're feeling guilt when you're not with the kids because you're not wearing that hat. And then you're feeling the stress of not being in the business when you're with the kids because we don't have two hats. We're one person. We are the mom who is leading a family and a business in tandem. We are one person in one world, not with our feet in two separate ones. And I think that compartmentalization is what is killing parents. It's making stress so deep in our, like such wounds for us. And it's not serving our children and it's taking family out of the equation. You know, you were building these incredible businesses for our families, but they're, they're not a part of it. They're not a part of the mission. Even if your spouse or your kid isn't directly working in the business, they, of course they're a part of it. They're contributing in so many different ways in the home and in spirit and how you connect. Let them in, let them witness it, let them be a part of it and let them learn from you and let them see you step up in leadership when there are the hard times and how you handle you know, those amazing opportunities, but still say no because they're not in alignment or maybe you, know, you don't share the same values as that company or whatever it might be. Let them see you make those tough decisions because it'll equate to their lives and the choices that they're making going forward. Yeah. Cause they're going to be adults longer than there are babies. Mm -hmm. right? So all of those decisions are going around for them. They're going to be faced with the same types of things and hiding it from them and keeping it from them does them a disservice. Yeah. It doesn't really prepare them for the real world. Right. Um, I think one of the best things about the pandemic if I can say that there's been a great thing, <laughs> it has been the fact that people's understanding of, oh, this is a mother or father who is also working, right? Right. Has become so much more aware because we've all seen kids run through the camera, right? On right. Zoom. Like we've all seen people have to put their kids on their lap or whatever. And it be it's become so normal that it's like, okay. So when someone goes, oh, that's my dog barking or that's my kid on their zoom doing their second grade thing or their, you know, 
it's like, oh, okay, we still can focus and get a task accomplished. Whereas it used to be, I know when my daughter was little, she would come in and start talking. And I was like on something live or, you know, with people, I'd be mortified, you know, right. 2012, right. I'd be like, oh my God. And it's like, people know you're a mom. Right. And they know you have a small child and small children have no concept of what is happening here. And there's nothing wrong with being like, oh, this is my daughter. Come on over whatever. Like, or, you know, like, hey, so-and-so. But I used to think that that was so awful back in the day. Right. And so for the last couple of years to see how normal it has become, I think hopefully has inspired a lot of people to just own that you are one. And you don't have to separate these hats and turn on your mom hat and now your CEO hat and then your mom hat. And like, I mean, that's insanity. I can't believe we've done it for so long. I know. I I can't believe that we've done it this long. It's it's a tall order. We're putting an unbelievable pressure on ourselves. And it, it also makes me think too, you know, they're not getting the gift of this kind of stuff in schools, period. Like they don't, my kids learning so much. And as my children are young, witnessing what we're doing and how my husband and I communicate and how we have our roles in their business, but we work as a team and how we talk to our employees and how we take care of them when they're walking through a hard time. Just the the heart that goes into it, not just like the strategy and the tactics and the money, but the the learnings that they're taking from that. My son, he's six and we homeschool. And uh, he says to me the other day at bedtime when he was like super overtired. So, you know, they spiral real quick and everything is wrong. And he was kind of in one of those modes. And he's like, I don't even know how to help people. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you and dad, you help people. I don't even know how to help them. And I don't even have a computer to help them because you help people on the computer. And I was like, all right, buddy. Well, tomorrow's homeschool class we're going to talk about what it looks like and all the different ways as, as a six-year-old you can serve and you can help people and you can show up. So it's it gets their wheels turning in ways that they're not getting that in the classroom. They're not getting that from their classmates. So I don't know, I'm biased, but the world of entrepreneurship, when when we say yes to that, we open the door for our children, whether they become entrepreneurs or not, to the entrepreneurial spirit, which is such mindset. a treasure. Yeah, yep. and the mindset. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we're problem solvers and, and, you know, solution oriented. And I don't know, I've spoken at a lot of colleges over the years and trade schools and all these things and boy, pre pandemic. And I'll tell you, I was meeting a lot of young people who come from helicopter parents who had no idea how to do some of the most basic things. And I'm like, you're 20. And you don't know how to I mean, some very basic things. I'm just I'm keeping it real with you. And when you say you have a six-year-old who's like, I need to know how to help people and use the computer. I'm like, good for you, buddy. Good for you. You are trying to solve a problem. You are looking mm-hmm. for a problem and you you desire to be the solution. You desire to mm-hmm. have a solution for that. That will be welcomed in any organization out there, whether you want to be an entrepreneur or move on to have some magnificent career. Just that mindset. Oh, my gosh. And my mm-hmm. daughter is 14. So I have a high school student who is going, mom, like at least once a week, she goes, thank you for how you raise me. <laughs> <laughs> she says it all the time. She was like, I'm so glad I'm a critical thinker. Right. She'll say that. She's 14. And she's like, good for her. I know people at school that literally don't know how to think for themselves. It's really weird. 
It's really weird. But since she was little, she would ask questions and I would go, well, what do you think? And I would give her an answer if I had the, like a, what I thought was a great answer, but I always wanted her to share first, like, okay, well, what are you thinking? And why do you think that? And all those things. And I, again, I think that does to your point come from like an entrepreneurial mind. So mm-hmm. if you see that there's a problem. So what would the solution be? Right. And then, yeah. What are the options? Great dialogue. What are the options? We'd have great yeah. dialogue around it. And I think it's really helping her excel as an athlete and a, you know, a great student, a, a honor roll student right now. But she's not addicted to achievement for the sake of looking for validation the way that I was. It's a healthy version for her. Mm. And that's what, you know, the goal is that we get better every generation. And so I get to see see what being a more conscious parent can create. Yeah. Well, it's such a testament to you, Patrice, because the fact that your daughter is conscious at her age or at any age, sadly, like adults aren't conscious of this that she's witnessing other people feed into the way culture, society, whatever, teaches us not how to think, teaches us what to think. Here, digest this. This is this is all you need to know. Don't ask questions. Don't stay curious. Don't break the rules. And the fact that she can be in, like, going to school and still be surrounded by that and bombarded by that, but, but so conscious of it and clearly see through it and and see her path forward is a testament to to you and and the way that you've raised her up. So uh, I could keep you on here literally all day, but I want to respect <laughs> your time. This is I feel I keep forgetting we're on a podcast. I feel like we're just sitting like we're having just a chatting. conversation. Yeah. From ever in um, Wisconsin, you know, we just need to chat and have coffee. Not when it's snowing because I don't do that. I was just going to say highly recommend coming more in the summertime because right about now I don't leave the house because it's the frozen tundra. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been such a breath of fresh air, but I want to make sure our audience, because I'm certain they're going to want to come connect with you and find you. Can you tell them the best place to come hunt you down, spend some time with you, watch the work that you're doing in the world and connect? Well, I would love to invite you guys to come on over to patricewashington.com forward slash start here. So if you want to learn more about those six pillars of wealth, I have a quick audio training and you can do a quick assessment to see maybe what pillar you may need to start at at this stage. So that's Patrice Washington forward slash start here. And also Instagram is one of my favorite social media platforms to play. So seek wisdom. PCW is my name. And I would love for you to tell me that Elizabeth sent you my way. That would be great. Yes, we're going to link to all that. And your podcast is Redefining Wealth, correct? Yes, we can send yes. there. Mm-hmm. All podcast platforms. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was such a joy. I love the work you're doing. It feels so good to talk to someone in, in such alignment with such a critical mission work that you've, you know, that God's put on your heart and that you're carrying out. So thank you for your work and thank you for your wisdom. Uh, thank you for having me. This was so good. I hope today's episode gave you exactly what you needed. And if it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next juicy episode. And don't be shy. I don't bite often. So come connect with me over on Instagram at Eliz Hartke. And if there's a topic or a question, a guest you want to hear on the show or an idea you have for us, just reach out and share your thoughts. We do this for you. So the more you tell us, the more we can serve. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. So tune in next time to keep building that legacy and doing the work that really matters.